0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to Invested. I'm Danielle Town. Oh my God, we are recovering from this trip that we went on. I cannot wait to tell you guys about it. Uh, we thought that, you know how we are, we thought we'd have so much time, right? The, the Phil Town, so much time. There's nothing to do, so much time. We would do podcasts. No, we were busy from dawn till dusk. I somehow made it through. It was amazing. I'm gonna write some emails to everybody on my list. It's going I'm just thrilled at what I was able to do. So that's really good personally. And it was great for the two of us and for our family. And we went to Ireland and Iceland. And what I'm gonna do here is put up an old one for you today because thoroughly unprepared recovering. And, um, and then I'm gonna look at all the emails you all sent. Thank you for those. And pick out a couple com- companies from each country, Iceland and Ireland. And, uh, and next week, I will let you guys know which ones, if you want to do your own research, to look at. And then we can talk about them after that and, and our trip and um, talk about investing while traveling. So I hope you guys are having some fun summer adventures. I hope you're discovering that investing is everywhere that you go. It's one of my favorite things about learning this crazy thing is that it's like this added layer of fun over everything else that I already like to do and, um, and get some rest, I hope. <laughs> Have a great summer. If you're working hard, I hope that's going well. And um, we will talk to you briefly next week and then fully talk about it the week after that. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy this episode on investing checklists, which I picked because I think this is a good thing to keep in mind as we start to get a little bit like all over the place with different countries and different companies and different currencies. Keeping to the basics is how I ground myself in this practice. And it's a good thing for all of us to get that little reminder in the back of our heads. Have a great day and have a wonderful investing practice. Thanks, everybody.
1: Bye. Hey, everybody. This is Phil Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast. I am apologizing right off the bat because Danielle's not here today. Um, But I'm going to be talking about checklists still. And I hope you guys can bear with me without my daughter chewing away at all of my ideas about investing. Um, Although she's come around a long way since we started this whole thing about, dang, five years ago. Um, She has really actually become a really, really good investor. Very proud of her. So this podcast, the Invested Podcast, is about investing as close as we can to the way Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett, and other great investors in that style of investing. Nobody really knows what to call it. Buffett sometimes refers to it as value investing, sometimes says not really because value investing has come to mean buying stuff that's sort of... uh, low P.E. ratio kinds of things, when really, he said, there's only really one kind of investing, and that's when you buy an asset, and you pay quite a lot less than it's worth. And of course, in order to do that, you have to know what it's worth. And in order to do that, you need to be capable of understanding the business. And it has to be a very specific kind of business, or figuring out what it's worth is just impossible. And a very specific kind of business has qualities that we've put into a checklist, and we're going to continue on next week with our checklist, and we'll have Daniel's inputs on on this checklist that I'm going to go over today, which isn't ours, but which we have adopted in my own practice and uh, with my analysts. um, We've added this to what we do because it is a really nice, succinct way to look at a company that's not as long as all of the stuff that we have on our checklist. We've got pages of things that we look at. Ackman, uh, Bill Ackman is a fantastic investor, in my opinion. He's very much a ruler style investor, which means he focuses his portfolio on a very small number of businesses, which he has to understand and, and, and be careful about buying because anyone that loses money is going to have a big impact on him. And he follows very much similar kinds of analysis as we do, which come to us from Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. So, Bill's very 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 good at what he does and he's uh, I think he's managing ten billion dollars something like that um, and is a fantastic guy he's willing to share what he knows and with all the rest of us so here's his checklist we're going to go down through this uh, and I'll kind of try to explain each piece of it um, the checklist is basically eight items and he just recently brought this all to our attention because he did a YouTube video where he basically talked about Uh, in an interview, how they strayed from these principles um, a few years ago and got into buying some companies, taking in some assets that didn't meet these requirements. And um, those things became problematic. And so they have gone back to it. In fact, Bill said in the interview that he, um, I don't know if you've ever seen these little things that are called uh, like uh, deal toys. They're usually some kind of plastic. Model and it has often has the deal terms inside and people use them sort of sort of trophies You know, they go on their desk and he did one of these deal toys and he put inside the plastic uh, These eight principles for everybody in his firm to pay attention to so I think it's really worth going into them All right, so here we go get a pencil and a piece of paper because here here's the eight principles Um, I'm gonna run down all eight of them really quickly and then we'll come back and, and take them kind of one by one so, in no certain order, I've sort of reordered these for my own purposes. But in no certain order, um, the business has to be simple and predictable, a dominant market position, limit exposure to extrinsic risks that we can't control, free cash flow generative, large barriers to entry, excellent management and good governance, high return on capital, and a strong balance sheet that doesn't need outside capital. So those are the eight eight things. Now, when we talk about sort of our checklist, what I look at is um, the principal things that, that we've been talking about on this podcast, which is from Charlie Munger's checklist. So to go back to Charlie for a second, in comparison, he basically says four things. Number one, you have to be capable of understanding the business. Number two, it has to have a durable competitive advantage that's intrinsic to the company. Number three, it has to have management with integrity and talent. And number four, you have to be able to buy it on sale. Need a margin of safety. Now, Bill's checklist doesn't deal with the first thing that Charlie said. It doesn't deal with being capable of understanding the business. Well, uh, he, he does slightly in the first principle, which is the business has to be simple and predictable. So, even one of the smartest guys on the planet, besides Charlie and Warren, um, requires that the businesses be simple and predictable. Because when he got off into businesses that were a little harder to understand, that's where the errors started to creep in. Not necessarily that he didn't understand them or he wasn't capable of understanding them, but that they weren't simple and they weren't predictable. And the result is even though you understand them, it doesn't mean they're going to keep doing what they've been doing. So understanding the business that's that's kind of goes without saying uh, on Bill's checklist. So, we're going to sort of put that first thing aside, but you have to remember that uh, for a professional like Ackman, that's a no-brainer, right? You obviously have to understand the business, but for amateurs, oh man, that's where we fall off the, the the wagon all the time. Is we fail to realize how shallow we have looked at this business. We don't realize how deep we have to go. So let's not put that one away permanently. Let's just remember that Bill's a professional; doesn't need to remind himself he better understand the business. Now, the second one that Charlie talks about is is effectively what we call moat. That is, the business has to have some kind of protective uh, moat around it to keep competition away. Now, what what we talk about when we start to break out the understanding of the business is we talk about the meaning of the business and the moat of the business. And these two things could kind of be combined under Ackman's view. so I'll look at it both ways. So for example, under what we would consider to be the meaning of the business, you know, understanding the business would be that it's simple and predictable, that you know that it has a dominant market position and it has limited exposure to extrinsic risk. So these are three of Bill's eight elements. So let's talk about each one of them. Simple and predictable means that the business is something that, I mean, one way to think about it is something that an idiot could run. It, I mean, once it's got itself going, you know, you you don't want an idiot to run it. But Warren once said, you want it so simple that an idiot could run it because someday an idiot will. And you want the business to survive the idiot. So you can't have a business that's super complicated or you end up with a real difficult uh, investment decision down the road if this business starts to falter then you don't know, uh, will it be recovering or will it require genius to get it back on, on track? So simple and predictable for me is something like Chipotle burritos. You guys know that from listening to this thing. All right, next thing, dominant market position. That means that this company has already done something that protects it from competition. It is already, has some sort of moat around it that lets it dominate its competition. That means it controls The majority of this market, or it's a very dominant piece of this market, majority control is very rare out there. Usually there's two or three companies that have the uh, total market control, but dominance can be 20, 30% of the market, 40% of the market. So when you think about colas and you think about a Coca-Cola and a Pepsi, there's a lot of other colas out there, a lot of other kinds of drinks, but those are the dominant guys in that industry. And that's there because they have some sort of a moat. So dominant market position is what we'd put in trying to understand the business properly. Um, We need to know how uh, well that stacks up. And a couple of ways you can look at it. Dominant market position can be uh, the biggest revenues in the market. It could be, uh, although we don't lean heavily on that, we could say, yeah, it's dominant. And then we want to look, of course, at, uh, at other things in terms of understanding how good a business it is. Um, and then finally, limited exposure to extrinsic risk that we can't control. So an extrinsic risk that we can't control is something like um a commodity business where China decides to just dump steel into the world uh, into the world market. It's an extrinsic risk that they might do that, and we have no control over that. If they decide to do it, they can crush steel prices. Um, I invested in a company a while back where I really, really got burned, and it was a company that uh, was the dominant producer of zinc in the United States and had by far the best cost position, so it had a price moat, and that price moat didn't matter when a big commodity buyer and, and a holder of commodities like copper and gold and silver, a great big one, just decided in order to shore up its cash position to dump zinc on the market. And it dropped the price of zinc from $1.10 to about $0.60 all during the time this company was having other problems. And that extrinsic risk that we couldn't control ended up shoving that company into a Chapter 11 bankruptcy. So extrinsic risk, that could also be legislative risk. If you're a coal company and the legislatures are going to, they're going to make huge barriers to you to produce your coal, then you have extrinsic risk, you can't control it. You may not wanna be in that kind of a business. So those three things, simple and predictable, dominant market position, limited exposure to extrinsic risk, those are part of understanding the business. Are you capable of understanding this business? Do you know where it sits in its industry? Do you know that it can avoid extrinsic risk to the degree that are reasonable? And is it simple and predictable? Now we go on to the next thing that Bill asks us to look at which is that it's free cash flow generative. And we consider this to be a major sign of a big moat business. Big moat business, very, very good at producing cash flow. And that means that it's producing cash flow, in my view, uh, with at least 75% of earnings and ideally at 100% of earnings or more. So that all virtually all of the money coming through the company is not... Sort of artificial earnings. It's not sort of, you know, it, we have earnings on our on our income statement. But we don't have any cash. It is actually a cash generating business. It doesn't it doesn't require a lot of money to just keep it going. Um, so, free cash flow generative. That's one of the things I loved about Chipotle. It's just a cash machine. Produces a lot of cash. They're able to build their business entirely out of their free cash. Never have to borrow money to do it. Um, The second thing that Bill asked us about, or that we put into the moat, this is his fifth uh, principle, is large barriers to entry. This is a classic definition of moat, that they have, the company has taken on a niche position and there are large barriers to entry. So what are those large barriers to entry? Well, um, let's think about some of them. One really big one is that there are no other businesses in this business because of, of government regulations. So this is what utilities experience as a kind of a moat, which is what we call a toll bridge moat. Utilities are basically set up to have quasi-governmental control of their market. And, um, and so very unusual, one of those utilities has real problems like Pacific Gas and Electric had in, in California is an amazing uh, experience of a, of, a, of a utility going bankrupt a couple of times. Um, which has more to do with the legislature of California and their wishful thinking um, about what they can regulate uh, in terms of the costs of energy um, than anything else, and even than bad management, although certainly bad manage- management is part of it. So large barriers to entry. Um, those are our, our typical moats. So let's go down a couple more of them. Um, a switching moat makes it very difficult for companies to come in and compete with me if, if I've locked up my client Totally by having backroom control. This would be what emphasis and uh, and IBM and Microsoft have. Large barriers to entry. Apple uh, has a similar thing. Switching moat. Very difficult to exit their ecosystem without a complete big deal change of software and the whole deal. So we're looking for large barriers to entry that are free cash flow generative businesses. Those are very big moat statements for us. So to re- recap here. Um, Bill says simple and predictable, dominant market position, limited exposure to extrinsic risk. We consider that to be understanding the business or the meaning of the business. Then he says free cash flow generative, large barriers to entry, we would call that moat. that is a durable competitive advantage uh, that's intrinsic to the business, large barriers to entry. So you know, intrinsic means something like railroad tracks to a, a company like Burlington Northern. You can't get railroad tracks anymore. It's very difficult. It would be impossible. Um, so that's a huge barrier to entry. That's what you're looking for, for this simple, predictable business. Um, and we consider brand uh, to be part of that. Big brands control distribution at the grocery stores, uh, or big brands are in your head when you're thinking about a product, you're thinking about the brand, not the, not the generic type. Um, switching motes we just talked about the secrets moats that you get from patenting things and having trade secrets. Uh, we talked about toll bridge and then we talked a little bit about pricing. So a pricing moat um, that would be like CF Industries has the lowest price uh, or can have the lowest price and still be profitable because they have the lowest cost. So these are all large barriers to entry. Um, uh, and you wanna look actually at how those come about. That's gonna show you you know, how do they get the lowest cost and, and then you'll see what the barrier to entry is. In CS case, for example, well, you're going to have to build nitrogen fertilizer plant and you have to build it on the Mississippi River so you can get access to transport and the pipelines that are available to push this gas out through. And, um, you know, that's just huge barriers to entry. All right. Then finally, the last three for Bill are excellent management and good governance, uh, high return on capital and a strong balance sheet. So excellent management. It's very subjective, right? But the idea is management that has integrity and talent. It's very difficult to invest in management that will cheat you. And managers can cheat you and often do. So this is a real problem. Excellent management would include in my book integrity and talent. And then Bill adds good governance, which has come to mean they're good stewards of their responsibilities to other other stakeholders besides just making money for shareholders. Good governance also means an awareness of their social responsibilities in their environment, in their communities, uh, in their hiring, in their employees, in their suppliers, how they relate with all of this. And when you look at a company like Walmart, um, and they might have a good governance score because these scores don't really make a big hill of beans. It's really, how do they match your values? And so Walmart has this problem for me is that, you know, I see them paying people very little, and those people have to rely on going to the emergency room in order to get health care. Um, and that's just not right. You, you have to pay people a living wage um, or change your business. And so, you know, they don't. And, and they have squeezed companies like Smithfield Foods to a point where Smithfield is out there doing horrendous things to hogs because it's trying to meet the cost requirements from walmart and walmart over its history has gone from being an all-american products company very proud of that to all of a sudden they're just low prices and that's their one dominant their dominant moral value is low prices which is abhorrent i think as a value that's just disgusting that's capitalism at its worst isn't it where effectively you're saying yeah we'll just we'll just ship all the production to you know people who are living in near slave-like conditions in China or or in the Southeast Asia someplace and working, you know, getting four days off a year. And we're going to shift all of our production over there and lay off all the American workers who, you know, our country won't, our, our neighborhoods won't put up with that kind of thing. And so... Walmart gets away with this by being a global company. And boy, I'll tell you what, they're coming under fire from Trump and they should, and they're coming under fire from Biden and from Sanders and good for them. They're, Trump jumped on this bandwagon with Bernie Sanders and I'm glad he did. And he's really doing something about it. And I'm very proud that he is. I think that America has to pull back from this kind of really ridiculous one value point kind of, kind of view of the world. And so that's what I think I mean by good governance. I maybe what Bill means, maybe not. But excellent management. And then and this of course, is all under our management uh, uh, checklist. And then high return on capital, that covers high return on invested capital, high return on assets, high return on, on equity. Uh, we want to see that this company is using our capital well, that they're allocating well. This is a very big management uh, checkbox is allocation of capital. That's really what CEOs are supposed to do is allocate capital properly. And then finally, a strong balance sheet, which means they haven't overloaded debt. Ideally, debt is no more than a couple of years of free cash flow to pay off a couple of years of earnings. Um, and they don't need outside capital. And this is a big deal. I'm really glad to see that on Bill's list, because that's what protects this business during a big downturn, recession, depression, is they don't have to go outside at all to get more money. And that's why I was able to follow Ackman into Chipotle. Ackman was going into Chipotle. And I'd bought Chipotle years earlier, and I don't know if he had or not, but he I saw that he went into it at about 400 bucks a share. And I certainly would think that he went into it for the same reasons I did. and that is they have a phenomenal balance sheet and massive free cash flow, massively high return on capital, really excellent management. They don't need outside capital. It's very hard to compete with Chipotle. No other company in the country can do what they do, which is to provide healthy organic natural gourmet food to the little guy at a really amazing price. Um, It's a really simple business, very predictable, but very hard to enter. Um, They have the dominant market position in that entrance, and there's very little exposure to outside risk that they can't control. So this is a company that Ackman jumped into, obviously working off of his his list, and I jumped into it, obviously working off a very similar list, just a little different ordering. And so Bill's list kind of goes to That part of our sort of rules analysis that says, first, radar, where'd it come from? So in Chipotle's case, it came from Ackman. Um, Next, what's the understanding of the business? Do you understand the business? That means you understand the meaning, okay? Simple, predictable, dominant market position, limited exposure to extrinsic risk. Do you understand the moat? Okay, free cash flow generative, large barriers to entry, and what are they, brand secrets, right? That whole list. Uh, Management, we like management that's talented. And, uh, and has a great integrity, and we like management that takes care of all the stakeholders, good governance. And we see that that's produced by very good allocation of capital results and high return on capital, strong balance sheets, you don't need outside capital. So Bill's checking all of our boxes here in terms of the understanding aspect of the business. And then finally, uh, the obviously unstated portion of his checklist is, hey, is this thing available at a great price? And we go deeply into that uh, with our margin of safety analysis. Then further, we ask ourselves, just because we're not all Bill Ackman level investors, that we better make sure that if we think this thing is on sale, that there's a major event that's put it on sale. Now, Bill may not be able to wait around for a major event because he's got $10 billion and his investors want to see a return on their capital every year. But we can, and as a result, we can sit in cash a lot longer than he can and look for that that wonderful event that puts it on sale. and then finally, we want to be sure we do an inversion. And I think an inversion is critical here. I imagine Ackman does one as a standard of, uh, of just going through the process of analyzing a business. But we have to make it very explicit. Go through the inversion. Invert it, invert it, invert it. That means take all the good reasons why you really like this business and turn them around. So if this is free cash flow generative, then, okay, then it's no longer going to be free cash flow generative. Why? Because the mode is broken and now their earnings are down by 50% and blah, blah, blah. So you you go through the inversion, make sure you understand the reasons not to buy this company better than the people who are short that business and are are basically actively trying to sell it and want to convince you to, uh, to, to, to buy it from them, probably. They're on CNBC telling you how wonderful it is. So make sure that anyone who's selling it is, has got their reasons and you understand what those reasons are. And that's the way the checklist should work. And I think that Ackman and I have very, very similar views of the world. Um, I wish I was as good an investor as he is. He's a fabulous investor. Um, and that's how you end up with $10 billion to work with. You're, you're that good. So uh, use these. I think I think his stuff is great. So let's go through it again real quick and then we'll wrap up for today. Ackman, one of the great investors in the world, thinks we should look at businesses that are simple and predictable dominant market position limited exposure to extrinsic risk free cash flow generative large barriers to entry excellent management and good governance high return on capital and a strong balance sheet that doesn't need outside capital and with that i'm badging you guys are really excited to have danielle come back and make this a lot more fun me too and until then guys time to go play see ya